Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff Limcooler, Extension Beef Cattle Specialist at the University of Kentucky. Through the Beef Bits Podcast, we will share current news, management tips, new research, and other issues related to beef cattle production. I'll be joined by various guests to bring different views and insights on beef cattle topics. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast and find the information useful. Welcome to another episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Lawton Stewart from the University of Georgia. Lawton, how are you today? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Can't complain. Uh, we could use a little, believe it or not, dry weather. We've been uh, receiving too much rain right now. We went through an extremely dry period in uh, kind of May, and then the rain came and wouldn't shut off, and um, we're just downright wet. Wow. Well, we, we need to flip-flop then because we we were wet and now we're dry, but I guess that's how it always tends to be. It's the law of averages, right? Right. That's right. It's going to be uh, moisture in one place. And, you know, we always kind of joke about this when they say there's a 50% chance of rain. It just means that there's going to be rain somewhere. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I've asked you to join us today, Lawton, to talk about some of the uh, cotton co-product feedstuffs that are out there. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, um, kind of back in 8, 9, 2008, 2009, when corn prices got so high, we saw a little bit more interest in some of the cotton and, and rice feedstuffs and then moved from the south up into this area. We're back kind of in that same ballpark again where, uh, you know, corn prices are up in that $7 range and, and beans are up in that $15 range. So there's a growing interest again in some of these alternative feedstuffs. And I thought it kind of was a good time to bring an expert on about uh, cotton byproducts. So um, you're given an invited presentation um coming up here at the national animal science meetings on this so it should be top of mind right to some extent yes <laughs> so uh, i thought since you were um, prepping for that we'd go ahead and just just knock some of these things out so lawton what what are some of these common cotton derived co-product feeds that uh, we might expect to see up this way Sure. So there, there's typically four that we would think about, especially leaving the state that aren't going to be fed locally. And those are the whole cotton seed, uh, cotton seed meal, cotton seed hulls, uh, and then what we call gin trash. And they're all basically derived from uh, the whole cotton seed themselves, right? More or less. It's from the ginning process. Yeah, the first three we talked about, so the whole cotton seed, cottonseed meal and cottonseed holes are from are parts of that cottonseed actual cottonseed um and, and so if you if you look at the name the way the name implies whole cottonseed and it can be a little confusing because you have whole cottonseed and then cottonseed holes uh which they sound very similar but whole cottonseed w-h-o-l-e cottonseed is what the name says it's that whole cottonseed uh and then you have the cottonseed meals what's left over after they 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 gin it and then they crush that seed to extract the, the oil. Um, so you're left with some little higher protein. And then you have the cottonseed holes, which is the other part that's left over after the ginning where they've crushed those uh, seed. They've taken the inside out and you're left with that outside part of the seed. And then you mentioned gin trash. Then, then where does gin trash fit in this processing scheme? 
Sure. So that's all, as the name implies, it is the trash left over in the gin after they go through the ginning process. So they're trying to pull the lint uh, out of those bowls. So in gin trash, you have some of that uh, lint fiber from the, the cotton. You have some of the, the bowls, the plant part. You'll have some stems. Uh, and, and also, depending on the gin and how well they're, they're ginning or pulling the seed out, uh, you may actually get some seed coming through as well. So when we look at um, starting maybe with, um, let's start with the process and, and work kind of forward then, it sounds like gin trash would be maybe that first potential feedstuff that comes out of this process. Sure. Yeah, that'd be a good way to, to, to go through it. And so it, it says trash, but it definitely has some, some value to it. Uh, if we talk about it from a nutritional standpoint, there can be some variability in it and maybe probably one of the more variable products you'll see. Uh, and like I said earlier, it depends on on their gin pro- ginning process and, and what they're, how exactly they're doing it. Uh, but typically we see it um, anywhere from 10 to maybe as high as 13% protein. So some adequate protein there from an energy level. If we look at it on a TDN or total digestible nutrient standpoint, uh, it, it's, I say it's about the equivalent of, of marginal to low quality hay. It, it's going to be in that low to mid forties on, on TDN as a percentage. Um, so if we're looking at it as a roughage or a hay replacement, uh, that's where it comes into value. And it, it, we can see that energy get a little higher if we see some, some seed coming through. But typically, uh, I tell our producers that it is something that's, uh, about, uh, marginal, maybe low quality hay. So what's the moisture content on that then? And a lot of, um, you know, maybe as we, as I've seen some of, for example, it's pretty wet, um, or at least what I've seen, but what would be a moisture content range on some of this? Well, that's, that's another one of those good question deals because a lot of times these gins are spraying it uh, to control dust. Um, so it, it can be variable again. It, it, you know, if it came straight out of the gin, if they didn't spray it, it would be something uh, kind of like some other feedstuffs, pushing 90% uh, dry matter or 10% moisture. Uh, but when they're wetting it, it can easily get up to 25, 30% moisture easily. Does that affect shelf life by any means, or can it go through? I mean, it, you think about, for example, some of our other wet feeds and distillers grains corn silage those things they they go through um either you know for us the wet cake has a relatively low ph coming out anyways or the wet distillers grains and then corn silage and that goes through a fermentation to drop that ph what about uh, gin trash then right that that's probably the problem with gin trash is that we're putting that moisture in there and it's reducing the shelf life uh, because we don't get a conserving fermentation i guess you could say it that way uh, it's more of a mold issue. Um, so if it's something, especially if we're having to use this in the warmer months, uh, it gets wet, you know, it starts heating up. So from a mold standpoint, we can actually have some problems. Uh, probably rare, but we also can get some heat damage or even, you know, we talk about hay sometimes causing fire, but typically we don't see that as much in gin trash. It's more of a mold issue and in, in shelf life that we run into uh, with that wet gin trash. So what, I basically, what would you recommend or what are, what are folks using gin trash then in beef cattle diets? How are they using that? It is uh, twofold. So if we're looking at maybe a grazing situation, 
a hay replacement. If we're in the winter, we're running out of hay, we can get gin trash. Uh, I tell people to use it as a base because there, there could be some need for ex- additional supplementation, but definitely has some, some use there as a hay replacement. Um, or if we're using a TMR, maybe we're dry lotting some cattle, some feedlot cattle, uh, it could be a good source of roughage to put in there. Yeah. The, the one thing you do need to be careful with in gin trash is the potential for weed seed. Uh, and spreading some weeds uh, because anything you know, is trash or anything that's coming through there that they don't want is lint. Um, so if there are some, some weed issues in a, in a, in a cotton uh, field, uh, those are going to be pulled in as well. And there's potential to spread some weeds uh, that well. So a lot of times I tell people, if you're feeding it, try to have a sacrifice area that you're going to keep an eye on either. If it's not concrete, if it is dirt, you, know, you keep an eye on. So when things warm up, and then those weeds start germinating, you can control them uh, before you start getting them infested in other parts of the pastures. Uh, that's good. good comment. Um, we don't think about some of that other foreign material that might be in this stuff. So um, then let's move forward to we, we've separated out then the, the whole cotton seed itself. What's the nutrient content one might expect on the whole cotton seed? Uh, I'm a big fan of whole cotton seed. I guess growing up in South Georgia, uh, I grew up in the time when it was free and my dad would show up with a wagon of that stuff and I'd have to shovel it. So um, maybe I didn't appreciate it as much from that standpoint at that age in my life. But from a nutritional standpoint, I say that because it was uh, it's kind of a I won't say a complete feed because we can't necessarily feed them just whole cotton seed, but it is something that's got some some good protein value, you know, it's typically low 20s. Um, you know, we've seen as high as 23% on the protein. From an energy standpoint, the nice thing is we have some fat content. It's going to be somewhere between 15 and, and, and 17%, maybe 18%, depending on uh, the variety. Uh, but that, that there lends a lot of energy value. So sometimes where we may see a book value, say it's only 80% on the TDN value, uh, really it's 95% or better from an energy standpoint. But then also it's got some fiber value to it as well, some roughage, because you know as we talked about with the gin trash, there is some stuff with that whole uh, H-U-L-L, whole, uh, that's got some fiber value to it. So it's, um, uh, it's a pretty good feed uh, from that standpoint. Yeah, I've I've seen pictures. Um, I think Dr. Gary Hill had s- showed some of these pictures and presentations where guys would just kind of put it in a cart, you know, heap it on a cart, pull it out in the pasture, or pull it out in a winter uh, feeding area. How how are you looking at using these um, to supplement beef cattle or, or putting it in the beef cattle diets? Sure. Now, one of the things is, as you talked about with the cart, it made me think about handling whole cotton seed is is a different story. Uh, compared to something maybe like whole shell corn, uh, pelleted soy hulls, pelleted uh, corn gluten feed. Uh, because it is a little different to, to handle. Uh, it's fluffy. Uh, it doesn't flow very well. Uh, but the good thing I do like about it is if we have a dry area, you know, typically we do not advise feeding anything on the ground. Uh, but it is it does have a little bit of that capability since it kind of clings together. Uh, ideally, we'd want to put it in a trough. Uh, but it is something that gives us a little, almost kind of like a range cube type uh, feed where we could put it out if we got a good dry place uh, to put it out. Uh, from a feed standpoint, uh, from a, just from a simply a, st- a fat uh, perspective, we want to limit it. 
uh, just so we don't get fat so high that we are limiting uh, fiber digestion in the rumen. Um, so typically, you know, we have a little bit of wiggle room, but typically we don't want that to get over, uh, we say about seven pounds per head on our, on our brood cows is a good number to, to remember. Uh, and that just tends to be a good place to where we're, we're meeting some of those or, or adding some energy, some protein, but not going to get into those um, fat limiting situations. So is there any concerns with the whole cotton seed as we move forward and thinking about incorporating it into the diets? I mean, we think about distillers as an example, and it can have some you know, eight to 10% fat, but we get a little bit worried about the calcium phosphorus ratio and sometimes the high sulfur levels. Any concerns on the whole cotton seed? Uh, from a whole cotton seed standpoint, from a nutritional standpoint, I don't worry as much about uh, what those mineral contents are, uh, the fat like we just talked about. But one of the big things we see uh, or, or talk about with whole cotton seed is gossipol. And, and gossipol is a natural occurring pigment in, in the in the plant. It actually acts as a uh, natural pesticide, for more or less. It's a, it's a, a that plant's uh, defense mechanism against insects, but also it can affect animals as well. Uh, the there's a lot of research that came out of Texas A&M a few years back showing that it could affect male fertility for bulls. So that is definitely a concern. Uh, also, it's just got some general toxicities in monogastrics. Um, we don't see it as well in, as much in, in ruminants because we have uh, that, that natural detoxifier with the rumen. Those microbes help us out as much. Um, so uh, the gossip, although we still see that, that the data from A&M showed some of those. Uh, typically, I have said that if we stay within our, our feeding recommendations from a fat standpoint, that we won't get into trouble from the gossipol. Um, the, some of that research fed extremely high levels, and so we're getting into the, the gossipol, high gossipol uh, uh, intake. Two things to, to consider is is they're, they're developing more and more lines that they're calling ultra-low gossipol. So that's something to consider when we look at old data compared to new data or the type of cotton. Uh, but also, we just finished up a couple years feeding some bulls, uh, different levels of, co of, of cottonseed, and then look, using uh, brain sound exam. So we fed them uh, either the seven pounds or the three and a half pounds or, or no cottonseed uh, over a 60-day period. So that, in our mind, that was something that would hopefully represent uh, either a controlled breeding season or possibly a period where we're, we're feeding, we're finishing up hay feeding, we're turning in the bulls, so they're going to be on uh, a ration with cottonseed for a little while during the breeding season. And, and what we found from that is we saw no differences, or we didn't have any of those bulls fail a breeding sound exam. They entered that period. Uh, they had to pass a breeding sound exam to, to stay in the study, and at the end they all they all uh, passed that breeding sound exam. Now, the gospel real quick from a, a talked about monogastrics. That's why we say typically do not feed whole cottonseed to that pre-gastric, or excuse me, pre-ruminant calf before it has a chance to truly develop that rumen, have that microbe population that's going to help detoxify it. Uh, but anything from wean cattle on is something that we can feed the whole cottonseed to. So you mentioned it being, um, or, or kind of the limitations being that fat level, but is, is gossipol a 
fat soluble compound that would be coming out with the oil or is it in being a pigment is it in all uh, of the components of the plant it's, it's technically in all components of the plant it, it tends to be higher in in the seed uh, and there are some measurable levels in the cottonseed meal but it's not something that's uh, we've not seen any concern with the cottonseed meal especially lately and, and that's the thing, you know, we're, we're actually still waiting to get our gospel levels back from those studies and working with Auburn as well, Dr. Kim Mullinex on some stuff. Um, so we honestly don't even know what the gospel level is, but uh, we tried to do it from a, a purely production standpoint. So we went to the local gin uh, and, and got local cottonseed uh, as opposed to trying to influence and say this is the level of cottonseed we were going to feed. So it's, it's a true uh, producer-based uh, research project. So we're waiting to get some of those numbers back so we can paint the whole picture. That sounds good. We'll be interested to see what those come back. And then perhaps in that area that that gin was processing low gossipol type uh, cotton at that time, and it wasn't a concern, but um, you, you may not run into that in another gin that's, uh, you know, down the road. That's right. So um, then we, we talked about that. Um, are, are any, is there anybody that's using whole cotton seeds and, and blending it into a grain mix? Um, I mean, you mentioned feeding like seven pounds of it, but is it stable in a grain mix if you put it in a bin and some of those things? And is it going to flow out of a bin? You mentioned that stickiness, but it, if you're keeping the inclusion at 20, 25% with a grain mix, is it going to flow? Yeah. If we keep it below that amount in, in, a, in a grain mix, it should flow pretty well because once you mix it in with, with anything else, you know, like with the, let's say whole, um, whole shell corn or cracked corn, uh, it, it handles. Okay. I don't ever want to put it in a bin or a gravity flow, anything that's, that's got to flow out of it. Doesn't use well. Typically it works better to put it in a, in a feed bunk. And then we're using a front end loader or something to, to work that out of, uh, just because it, it's not gonna, if you put it in an overhead bin and open it, uh, you're going to be, uh, not very happy with trying to get that stuff out of there. It's a flat storage commodity barn type situation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nothing more aggravating than being out there with a bin full of feed that you can't get out. That's right. That's right. So, um, we, we've got that whole cotton seed then now it, you mentioned it gets processed and they extract the oil and then we're left with two other feedstuffs and the one being cotton seed meal and the other being the cottonseed hulls, H-U-L-L-S. Let's start with the cottonseed meal. What's, what is the nutritional value of it? Sure. I, 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 to, to be somewhat simplistic, I, I say to think about it as a soybean meal light. Uh, it's a protein supplement. It's very high in protein. It's usually mid-40s on protein. Uh, so, you know, it's not quite as high as soybean meal. Uh, but still definitely a, a source of, of protein. A lot of times we're looking at it compared to soybean meal. We use it very similarly in, in rations. Uh, from an energy standpoint, typically in that upper 70s to 80 percent uh, on an energy level. Um, so definitely a good feed. We use it a lot in creek feed rations uh, or as a soybean meal replacement to, to I guess, speak simply uh, about what it can be used for. Uh, probably not as near as palatable as soybean meal, uh, but definitely something that, that we can use as a replacement. Any anti-nutritional concerns with it? Not so much compared to the other things we've talked about. Um, 
you know, with the whole cotton seed, uh, the gossip pile, most of the gossip pile should be pulled out of that. Um, so, so not to the level of anything else, not necessarily. And it's, it's going to be basically a meal form, but, um, has anybody pelleted? I mean, it's, it's pelleted cottonseed meal a thing. Not that they may have tried it, but not to my knowledge, nothing that's, that's used regularly. It, it's, uh, got a little bit of fat in it still, uh, I guess it depends. That's one thing to consider is if it's, uh, pressed versus uh, solvent expelled. Uh, so that's something to consider. So it's got a little bit of fat in it, so it's not going to hold together very well as a pellet. Kind of like you think about soybean meal. Um, it's, it's by itself doesn't pellet very well. Yeah, yeah. So um, then we're left basically with the last component, which is cottonseed hulls. Uh, we tend to see quite a few cottonseed hulls work their way up here into some rations. But, um, uh, you know, I always tell folks, you know, have an understanding of what the nutritional value of cottonseed hulls are and what you're buying. We, we tend to see a lot of them coming up in like a 40-pound bag, which makes the price 300 to $400 a ton. Um, now we do have, you know, some larger commodity, um, brokers that are bringing in tractor trailer or, or even rail car loads of it, but, um, it can be an expensive forage source, but tell us a little bit about the nutrient level of cottonseed hulls, H-U-L-L-S. Yeah, it's somewhat funny because the names almost sound alike, but they're, they're very different, especially from a nutritional standpoint. Uh, cause the thing is, if you look at it from a protein standpoint, very low in protein, They've pulled everything out, uh, so you're only left with about 4% protein. Uh, from an energy standpoint, again, we've pulled everything else out, so we're left with something that's about 42% uh, TDN, so it's uh, even lower than gin trash. Um, so from a true nutritional standpoint, there's not much value from an energy of protein. Uh, the value comes in from a roughage standpoint. Uh, if we're looking at a total mixed ration, feedlot ration, something where we need to get some scratch factor, some roughage, 10% uh, roughage in those those diets. That's where it becomes um, an asset. And, and it tends to be cattle like them. I mean, they're, they're palatable. For some reason, they, they really like those cottonseed hulls. Uh, but kind of like the the whole cottonseed, it's, it's a very fluffy, very bulky diet or, or feedstuff, so it is not very easy to, to, to handle. Uh, when you said those 40-pound bags, uh, they got to stuff it in there pretty tight to, to get 40 pounds in a regular feed bag. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the, 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 the palatability and that, that that's even going back to some of the old published research, looking at cottonseed hulls as a forage replacement in, in rations. Um, we tend to see them used a lot in receiving rations or preconditioning rations up here. Um, uh, what what kind of place do you typically see cottonseed hulls being used uh, in cattle diets? Yeah, somewhere like that, uh, where you need to get some roughage. You're trying to get cattle started uh, because it does have some palatability to it compared to some other things we may use as, as roughage. Um, so really, the, the only places I see it being used is either as a hay extender. And if we're using something like in a drought situation where we're trying to, we're essentially having to feed them everything in the trough. So we need something to, to put it in a TMR to have a roughage source uh, or uh, in something like a re receiving ration. And, and I really like to limit it there too, because we're not getting any, any energy value out of it. So you're kind of taking 
uh, step forward and take a step backward from just a, what type of nutrients we're trying to actually get into those calves. That's a good point. You know, I, I, we use or see a lot of soybean hulls up here and I try to tell folks, you know, hulls, H-U-L-L-S, doesn't mean good feed um, always. And and I'm not saying cottonseed hulls are bad, but it's important to understand we're talking about something that's, you know, less than half the nutritional value of soybean hulls. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at our part of the world, so we have soybean hulls, which, uh, as you just said, compared to cottonseed hulls, uh, just because it has holes in the name doesn't mean it's, it's going to be good. And then down here, we get a lot of peanut holes. So it's even, you take um, you take cottonseed holes and then divide it by two again, energy value, and then you got something with peanut holes, which are readily available. Uh, and so a lot of people want to feed it. Uh, so just because one is cheap or animals like to eat it does not mean you're getting your nutrient content that you need. And, and so the values you gave us on cottonseed holes, those those come in pretty darn close to something like a wheat straw. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Again, thinking about just something that we need a roughage source. Uh, so wheat straw, very low quality hay, uh, definitely something compared to that. And the other thing to worry about too, though, is, is from a protein standpoint, very low in protein. I mean, 4% protein. We're not, we're not even getting much out of it. We don't even consider the protein value there. Is there... I would imagine a significant portion of that protein could even be tied up and pass right through. Sure. Sure. Especially depending on what type of process they use to, to crush the seeds, you know, we could tie up some of that protein. Uh, or if going back to, you know, something else to consider too, when they're storing seed in the gin, and we talked about wet and sometimes we see them wet the seed as well because it's dusty. And, and we, we see some burnt seed down here uh, where it heats up. Uh, they're trying to control the dust. So that even adds to that as well. We could have some some bound protein that's unavailable. Well, Lawton, this has been a great overview of the nutritional values in some of these feeds and, and how to use them. Um, are there any concerns as we look at this from the crop side when we think about herbicide, pesticide, residuals, or anything like that? Is there any concerns when we think about these feedstuffs from that aspect? You know, with any crop, there, there's going to be those things applied that we're concerned about. But as it goes through this process, they, they have some pretty stringent uh, requirements on those. You know, if it was something in our neck of the woods, if you're grazing residue, there, there's concerns there that we can't technically do. Uh, but as far as this goes, there should not be anything in that cottonseed meal, uh, whole cottonseed, anything that, that should be a concern, especially the levels we're feeding as well. I mean, it, it's... You have a low, low presence, if any, and then you're feeding a little amount. So there, there's, there's no concerns. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. And, um, you know, sometimes people get a little concerned about that. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's that we, it's unfamiliar to us because it's a crop that we don't grow up here. And, um, you know, you, you just wonder about some of those issues and concerns. So as, as you move in, into the kind of the, um, realm of seven dollar corn um has your phone started picking up on using these in feeds and what what's been the recent kind of phone calls coming in well the the trick on i say trick with something maybe like cotton byproducts is it's not the time of year we we see them readily available they, they've already um we typically see these start to come available in the fall so we're running out so we'll really get the phone calls started on things like this 
in, in the in the fall when they start harvesting uh, picking cotton and more cotton seeds comes available but definitely something that, that starts is something that a lot of questions and a lot of explanations on the difference between cotton seed hulls and whole cotton seed so so that's a good point that i didn't think about is it's it's more of a seasonal availability what what give us that time window of of seasonal availability sure the the i'd say the most seasonal is going to be the whole cotton seed and the gin trash because that's coming straight from the gin um so typically we see it start becoming available in the fall uh and then just really depending on how much people need you know what grazing is available uh, we see it peak around Christmas going after the first of the year and then starts playing out pretty quick. Um, I tell our producers, if it's something they want to consider using, go ahead and start pricing it early fall as you can. Uh, kind of like with everything else, uh, when everybody else wants it, the price goes up. So try to get a price when everybody else isn't looking for it. Uh, good, good comment. Yep. Claudin, uh, Appreciate you joining us today and sharing um, all this information on these cotton feedstuffs. Um, you know, it's certainly something that we're going to be getting probably more calls if these corn prices stay where they're at. And and um, folks are always looking for a good goodbye. And sometimes we got to tell them there is no such thing as a goodbye, um, particularly when we're looking at whole cotton seed versus cotton seed hulls. Uh, the nutritional value is not even close to being the same. Any any last thoughts you have? Um, any anything on those go dogs? Um, Going to have a football team this year? I hope they have a football team, but we'll we'll see. Is everything? We'll, uh, we'll we'll wait until we get into the fall, then we'll have our football discussion. <laughs> it's too early, huh? That's right. That's right. Uh, shoot. Well, uh, we're, we're hope we're optimistic. How about that? We're, we're hoping to have another good run this year and, um, uh, hoping that, uh, you know, we, we continue to build on the program. Like, uh, it seems like the momentum is going in the right direction. Anyhow. Sure. They're definitely building something up there. Yeah. Well, Alton, I appreciate your time today and uh, I want to thank you again for joining us. And, uh, again, it's been Dr. Walton Stewart, uh, Beef Extension uh, Specialist at the University of Georgia. And All right. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Beef Bits Podcast. We hope you found it enjoyable and informative. Be sure to subscribe to the Beef Bits Podcast for future episodes as well as listen to previous ones. Until next time, be safe and reach out to your county extension office for more information on beef management topics. <laughs>